Thank you, Karen. In light of the message of her song, some songs that we sang earlier, we're reminded of the fact that when we have a relationship with God, we have something to share with others. When we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we have something to share with others, and that is the message of the gospel. In the process of a series on seeking to make disciples evangelism, we discussed Colossians 4, 5, and 6, which tells us to be wise in the way we act towards outsiders, making the most of our, every opportunity. We considered 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 and 12, which tells us to make it our ambition to mind your own business, to work with our own hands, and to live a quiet life. 1 Peter chapter 3, we're to live in such a way that when people ask us of the reason of the hope we have, we are able to share it. In the last few weeks, we looked at some basic gospel concepts. We considered God, considered human sin, death, Christ, the cross of Christ, repentance, faith, and then eternal life. This morning, we want to consider interacting with unbelievers. A couple questions, not looking for verbal response, some thought questions. Would you feel comfortable with a surgeon operating on you if he knew nothing about your medical history? Would you feel comfortable with a surgeon operating on you if he knew nothing about your medical history? If you would, why? If you would not, why not? As a math teacher, imagine you're a math teacher or if you are one, how do you respond to a new class who seems in the dark concerning what you're teaching? How do you respond to them? As a coach, you're seeking to teach your team about playing positions and passing the ball as they're learning to play soccer. They just don't seem to get the concept because they keep picking the ball up and want to bounce it. You have to consider their history. As we think about relating to unbelievers, I think it's important that we strive to relate in a godly way. There's a chart, and you should have received a sheet with a chart also. And there's nothing sacred about this chart. It's just a tool to think about relating to unbelievers and where they may be in their walk or coming to know God, not that they're walking with God, but coming to know God. You notice in the bottom that we have human spiritual responses. In the center is our role, and then God's role. And you will find as you talk to unbelievers, there are various places. They may be on level one, or level two, or level three, and so on. But as you think about relating to them, on level one, you know, humans are born with God's image. They're created in God's image. They may be aware there's a higher power. They may sense some spiritual emptiness. They may be vulnerable to false religious beliefs and so on. But on level one, as we seek to live authentic lives, which we discuss from Colossians chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 Peter 
chapter 3, we're tilling soil. We're seeking to share Christ with them. On the second level, they may realize there's only one true creator God. Okay. There we go. Thank you, Jer. They may be exposed to other Christian gospel concepts. We may plant. We may water. We may help them grasp God and sin and so on. And then on the third level, they may understand God. They may understand sin. They may understand Christ. The Spirit of God is convicting. And they may come to the place where they understand their need of Christ. We are tools to be used in reaching unbelievers. The Spirit of God must convict. We cannot bring anyone to Christ. And we'll refer to this, Lord willing, down the way a few times. But I want you to think about a couple things. How will understanding where an unbeliever is in their thinking and beliefs be helpful in how you respond to them? How will understanding where an unbeliever is in their thinking help you respond to them in a wise and godly manner? Think about the unbelievers in your severe influence. If they're thinking one direction and you're going another direction, they won't relate. I remember one time I was talking to a non-believer and I brought up the issue of faith and they said, oh, I have faith, I believe in God. And I thought, in light of our conversation, they don't believe in God, they don't have faith. So I said, what do you mean by faith? And they defined their definition of faith and then also defined grace. And I thought, we're on opposite pages. You know, just understanding where they're coming from. Did Jesus respond to people? in light of where they were in their thinking and their beliefs. If you look in John chapter 3, we're not going to turn there, but in John chapter 3, Nicodemus came to Jesus and he responded in one way. In John chapter 4, the woman at the well, he responded in a different way. He responded in still a different way to the rich man in Matthew chapter 19. And in Luke chapter 6, he responded in a different way to the religious but lost Pharisees. Same message, same person, but responded in a different way. Consider who you're seeking to reach with the gospel of Christ. Where are they in their thinking and their beliefs? A couple of weeks ago, I was having lunch with a non-believer, and we were talking. And I asked him a very specific question, you know, do you have a relationship with God? Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? And he said, I think so. And I said, why do you think so? And then he went on to explain that he was basically living a pretty good life and he was helpful to people and so on. I need to weigh that because his mindset is one of works. I will do and, you know, God will weigh the good and the bad and hopefully my good, you know, is going to be better than my bad. Consider who you're seeking to reach. Where are they at in their thinking? in their beliefs. This is just a curiosity question, not looking for a response. Where are people in general in our valley, in their thinking, 
about God? Where are they in their thinking? Makes a difference in how we share with them. Some thoughts in light of our discussion this morning. Do not attempt to reap if tilling and planting has not taken place. Having grown up on a farm, my dad never took the combine out to the grain field and attempted to harvest unless he first of all in the spring tilled, planted, left God water, let the crop grow. You know, sometimes we may try to reap an unbeliever coming to Christ when no one has tilled the soil, no one has planted the seed, and we may try to get a response too quickly. Be content to be involved in the process in harvest in any manner. Don't think you always have to lead a person to Christ. Just be faithful, sharing as you go along. We already implied this, but determine where your friend or neighbor and so on may be so you can share with wisdom. Where are they in their thinking? Where are they at in life? So your friend's laying in the hospital bed dying. And you go off on some other subject about how great it is to be able to run in a marathon. You know, you're not relating. Where are they at in their life? Let the Spirit of God work. Do not push if the Spirit is not working. The gospel of Jesus Christ or what the Holy Spirit uses to convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Share the gospel. Seek open doors. Make the most of every opportunity. There's a lot being said in our nation for a number of years, just a whole issue of health care, Obamacare, some people call it. Do you ever stop to consider that is an open door? to walk through. Our county has been through some tough times as it relates to some leaders and we say we live in a corrupt county. Open doors. Maybe ask a question. Why do you think there is corruption in Luzerne County? Do you think that if we have home rule, which has passed, that corruption will be less than it was before? Oh, I think so. Why? Have you stopped to consider that even with home rule, we're still dealing with humans who have a sin nature and struggle with sin? No, we're making the most of every opportunity, considering where They are. Except people where they are on the scale that we looked at earlier and just love them. Care for them. Now let's take our Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 19. As we think about relating to people where they are, in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus is relating to the rich young man 
As we consider Matthew chapter 19, Matthew is a Jewish gospel. It presents Christ as king, written by a Jewish tax collector. Now, if you stop and think about that, a Jewish tax collector wrote Matthew. Tax collectors were hated, despised, but Christ related to one came to faith. It's not necessarily written totally in chronological order. And the rich man to whom Jesus is relating would have known the Mosaic, God, or Mosaic law. Also, as you think about the book of Matthew, Matthew is presenting Christ as the Son of God. And if you were to look at several things in chapter 1, chapter 2, and then you look at the end of the book, when the centurion says, as Christ is dying, truly this man was a son of God. And between the beginning and the end, over and over again, it is confirmed that Jesus is the son of God. Matthew chapter 19, begin reading with verse 16. Now man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commands or commandments. Which ones? The man inquired. Jesus replied, do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I've kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad, because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth. It is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Peter followed or answered him, We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Anyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much, and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last And many who are last will be first. In verse 16, the rich man's question implies that he was able to do something good to earn eternal life. What good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? It's interesting, too, that he does use eternal life. But he comes to Jesus with a question Apparently, in asking the question, he did not grasp that he was in Adam, that he was in sin, 
that he was in death. What good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus' answer kind of seems to walk around the question because he says, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. His question was, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, there's only one who is good. Referring to God. If God is good, what is true of the rich man? He's not good. Then he says, Jesus says, if you want to enter life, obey the commands. The man replies, which ones? It's interesting, Jesus says, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. If you go back to the Old Testament, you go back to Exodus 20 and parallel passages, you will find that Jesus is giving the last six commands that deal with relationships with other people. The rich man's response was, all these I have kept. All these I have kept, those six commandments, he says, I kept. All I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. I find it interesting that Jesus does not argue with the guy. He doesn't say, hey, you surely broke the command at one time. You, at one point in time, disobeyed mom and dad. Jesus doesn't bring that up. You surely didn't always love your neighbor. Jesus doesn't bring that up. What do I still lack? Jesus says, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. What do we see taking place? Jesus goes to the heart. Now would be the conviction that Jesus is going to the first four commandments. Love the Lord your God. No other idols or no other gods before you. See, Jesus could have argued with a rich man, you surely didn't honor mom and dad your entire life. You stole it at some point in time. Jesus says, go sell your possessions. And the young man walks away because he had great wealth. He saw his heart. He loved his wealth. I don't know about you, but I think there have been many people today been tempted to say to the rich man, 
Now, if you just accept Jesus and get baptized and join our church, everything will be fine. Thinking, this guy got tons of money, and we need money to finish our church, the building in which we worship. Just think of what this guy could do with all his wealth for God's kingdom. Jesus says, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions. The young man went away. See, Jesus was not looking for a response. He's looking for a follower. One who gave his all to Christ. And it's interesting, too, that as the young man is walking away, Jesus doesn't go after him and say, hold it, hold it, I want to tell you something else. He lets him go. Jesus said, go sell what you have. Give to the poor. He walks away because he had great wealth, and Jesus lets him go. It's interesting the... Jesus then says to disciples, you know, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Apparently, riches can get a hold on a person, and they become the God. So that Peter's response is, I'm sorry, the disciples' response is, who then can be saved? With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. See, salvation is not a man-made effort. It's not something we do. God must work. So Peter then says, what's left, or we've left everything to follow you. Remember, Peter left his fishing trade and the others left their means of income. And Jesus reminds them in verses 28 through the end of the chapter that their reward is coming in the future. Now, please understand a couple things about this passage. That Jesus began where people were. He responds to the rich man's question. He began where they were, or where he was. If you're talking to someone who believes that you do good works to have a relationship with God, you begin there. If you're talking to someone that does not believe humans are sinful at all, then you maybe need to go back to God. You know, God is creator. And what happened with Adam and Eve? Jesus also went to the heart what the rich man loved. Now Dan Brubaker came to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus may have responded to me if I were present at that time or he were present in this day and age. 
go sell your Chevelle and take the money and give to the poor and come and follow me. That was my God for a period of time. It wasn't that it was wrong, it just owned me. Jesus went to the heart. What do you really love, rich man? He clearly stated the conditions and let the rich man choose. What are the conditions? Go sell and come and follow me. And he let the man choose and he did not run after him and beg him or plead with him. God made a choice, he let him go. Maybe even dealing with unbelievers sometimes, we may discuss the gospel and they make a choice and they reject it. They made a choice. Jesus seems not to be after followers. That is numbers. He desired disciples who met his conditions. Would pastors and churches today tell the rich man to sell what he had and give it to the poor? Or would they see a potential donor to the church? Thus we do everything to get them to join a church. Just a thought question. See, Jesus wants a follower. He's, he owns a cat on a thousand hills. He owns it all. He certainly doesn't need any of our money. You may be a multi-trillionaire. God can get along without your money or my money. He wants one whose heart is yielded to him. And he's not knocking money, I don't think, in the text. It's just, where's the heart? Coming to Christ requires a work of God through this Holy Spirit. Let's not push where the Holy Spirit is not working. There is a reward for following Christ. Very, very clear in the context. In verses 28 through the end of the chapter. <clears throat> Some suggestions as we wrap it up. As it relates to sharing the gospel, begin where people are in the present. Begin where people are. Your neighbor, your friend, <clears throat> fellow student, Setting in class, biology in college, the prof was expounding about some gaps in the evolutionary chain. That's where he was. And as he's expounding on that, I thought, I can fill in the gap for you, sir. Creator God. But begin where they are. Boy, I don't like this health care, and people really get upset sometimes about health care. You can get pretty, I don't know if you ever ran into any adamant conversations about health care. Well, begin there. Why are you so concerned about health care? Make most of the opportunity and bring it back to Christ. Use questions to get to their heart. 
Use questions to get to their heart. Why are you so concerned about our economy? Now, if they're concerned about the economy. This usually happens every time I visit someone in prison. They always want to get out quickly and, you know, will you do whatever is necessary to help me get out of here? A fair question is, why are you here? And why do you want to get out? If you did something and there's a consequence to be paid, do you think God wants you out yet? Maybe he's going to let you pay the penalty. You know, using questions to challenge people to think. So your two kids are fighting with one another, which kids never do, do they? They're fighting with one another, and you're dealing with them, you're disciplining them, or you're going to. And you say, now why'd you do that? Well, because he hit me, or she hit me, or she said this, or he said that. Did they make you hit them? You know, now you're entering a little different territory. Address what they love. There was a girl one time who was a college student living with her boyfriend and she was talking to someone about Christ and the person who was talking to her about Christ said, you know, if you want to really follow Christ, you shouldn't live with your boyfriend. If you really want to follow Christ, quit living with him. And the girl walked away. She came back the next night and sought out the person that told her that and said, you know, I really want to follow Christ and I want you to know that I moved out last night. The lady that was talking to the girl addressed the heart. Do you love your boyfriend more than you want to walk with Christ? Don't argue. Defend. Try to make them see sin. Let the Spirit of God work. Jesus didn't argue. He didn't defend. He just let the Spirit work. And apparently the man chose not to respond. Give God's conditions. We're dealing with a creator God who says you're sinful. Christ paid the penalty for you. Repentance and faith and so on. Give them freedom of choice. Let them choose. Don't pressure. I said this many times, let the spirit work. We aren't building churches. We're seeking to point people to Christ. Be faithful. God rewards. Just be faithful. As you think about people in your severe of influence, You want to reach them with the gospel. You might deal with a friend different than with a coworker. Same message, but you might respond in a different way or begin in a different place because you're dealing with a person who is at a different place in their thinking. 
And if you look in Matthew 19, as we did, you find Jesus responded to the rich man. But he responded much different to Nicodemus. He said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And to the woman at the well, he says, go get your husbands. Or husband, rather. And she said, I don't have a husband. And he, yeah, you responded correctly. You don't have a husband. You have had five. Responded differently. Because people are a different place. But he offered the same person himself. We offer to a world Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we live in a world where many don't know Christ. We know that we can't bring them to Christ, but we can be instruments in your hands to till soil, to cultivate soil, to plant seed, maybe to water, but you're the one who gives the increase. And as we think about people in our severe of influence, Maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a co-worker, maybe it's someone in our family. Might be a student, fellow student at school. May we be mindful of seeing them as separated from you and have a concern to seek to point them to Christ. May we be people who are wise in the way we act towards unbelievers, making the most of every opportunity, seeking to live quiet lives, to mind our own business, to work with our own hands, and to live in sensitivity to you and your spirit working in us so that when an opportunity comes, we'll recognize it and seek to respond accordingly. This week, Give us opportunities as we relate with unbelievers to point them towards Christ. For your glory, Father. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. You're dismissed. <clears throat>